0: 5th grade or younger, there's a children's service downstairs you're welcome to go to. I'd like for the rest of you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. I want to just begin by telling you the dilemma that I have every week, and praying about, preparing, and planning what to preach. I don't know, it seems like the older I'm getting, the more sensitive I'm becoming to God words. You know what I mean by that? I don't mean the Word of God, but I mean the the words that we use in church. And and I'm not even sure I like preach anymore, (laughs) because it sounds so preachy. But anyway, anyway, when I think about what am I going to say to you on Sunday, there's two things going all the way back to to even before I went into college to prepare uh, to to teach and preach and communicate the word of God. But but in that process, uh, there were a couple of things that stood out that was said by that were said by professors along the way, and one of them was make it practical. And so, all through my ministry, I've tried to think, what can I say that will help you Monday morning? That's the way I've thought about it. What, what can I say that is going to make a difference in your life when you're not here, but you're there? In what, wherever there is in your life, what's going to help you then? And the other thing was, a, was something that was said by actually one of my professors of counseling. He also taught the homiletics or the preaching classes. And he said, always tell them how. Don't just tell them what. Tell them how. How do I do whatever it is that God is wanting me to do? So, as I've been thinking about these sermons on prayer, these two things have been really standing out. What is practical, and, and how and why? Why, why, is, why does Paul do what he does, and how do we get a hold of it in our lives so that it makes a difference on Monday morning? Because Paul prays a very interesting thing in the first chapter of Ephesians, it's as he records it there, he says, I'm praying for you. And he says, if this is what I'm praying. I'm asking that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of Him. That you can know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. And some of you, right now, in this room, have already blipped out. I mean You just said, what's that got to do with my needs? knowledge and understanding and wisdom and hope and what's that got to do with my needs? I need a job. I'm sick. I need to get well. I can't pay my bills. I need money. I'm in a relationship crisis. Some valuable relationship to me is falling apart and I need it fixed. I need some help. Don't talk to me about the knowledge of Him and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I need help. I need money. I need work. I need my relationship fixed. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, how does what Paul is praying apply to those situations? And it's so so easy for us when we read the Scriptures, it's so easy for us to take these biblical writers, and put them in the category of religion. You know, you drive down the street, maybe you go by a church of the Apostle Paul or something, and it's like, uh, who was this guy? You know, he wasn't real. But I want to remind you this morning that Paul did not sit back in an ivory tower paid by the offerings of churches, hanging out with scrolls, you know, and, and studying all the time, Paul went from town to town sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and got no money for it. So he had to work. And every town he went into, he set up a booth and made tents. And he had people traveling with him. And they, were, they would come into town as a group. And they had needs. They had to eat. They had to have shelter. They had to find some place to stay. They had the same needs that you have, and they didn't get offerings for it. Paul said, I, He says this a number of times to different churches, but when I was among you, you know that I didn't take anything for my needs, but I worked with my own hands to provide my needs. And he says, I'm glad I did that because I wanted to be able to give you the message of Christ Absolutely free. Didn't want there to be any strings attached. And, and so, you have to realize that the Apostle Paul is a guy that made tents for a living, paid for his colleagues many times, and they worked together. He had to buy material. He had to put these things together. He had to barter, because they've done that in the Middle East for 4,000 years. He had to barter to sell them. He faced all the needs of a business person. He faced all the needs of a shop owner. He faced all the problems of buying product, turning it into something else, and selling it for a profit. That was his daily experience while he shared the message of Jesus Christ. And he suffered physically from time to time. In fact, he tells us in Corinthians that he had some kind of an eye problem, apparently, that would just never let go and never give up. And he struggled with physical problems. Paul was not a guy that was like insulated from real life. And neither were the Ephesians for whom he's praying. And so I really want us to to see that what Paul is praying here is real world, real life stuff that he wants us to connect with because he knows that if we get this, we will be fortified and enabled to face anything life brings our way. And and I, and I want to make us aware of something this morning, in case you haven't thought about this lately, you probably have, but what is your need today? Just think about it for a moment. What is your need right now today? What is the thing that causes you stress? What gives you anxiety? When you can't sleep at night, what's running around in your brain? What's bothering you? What if God were right now, this moment, to miraculously step into your life and deal with it and completely solve the problem, take it away? It's done. This crisis is, God has fixed it. What do you think would happen between now and the rest of your life? Uh, <laughs> all shucks. Yeah, you know, there's going to be another one. There's going to be another problem. There's going to be another crisis. There's going to be another event. My goodness, Craig and LaDonna are on their way to Minnesota for ministry. I mean, you know, people think, I'm I'm on the Jesus road. I'm out here praising God. I'm serving God. I'm going up to Minnesota to minister. Why does their vehicle roll over? Obliterate their summer plans. Maybe the rest of their year plans, put Craig in an intensive care with every bone from his waist down broken, it sounds like. What's the deal? That fast. Life is fine. Life is intensive care trauma. That fast. What's the deal? You have no idea what a day will bring forth. And so while God is more than willing and able and capable of stepping into our lives at any moment and bringing amazing deliverance, the truth is, life is always a mixed bag of joy and blessing and fun and sorrow and grief and pain. It's always there oftentimes together, and, and, it's, and it's mixed. And every day has some new thing. And life may go good for a while, life may get tough for a while. But if you understand what Paul is praying for, it won't matter what's going on out here. Because you'll be able to connect with God in an incredible way. And so Paul prays for them and he says, I'm thinking about all the things you guys are facing and here's what I'm asking for you. I want to pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. I just want to think about that phrase for a moment. What is wisdom? Do you know how wisdom differs from knowledge? Have you ever thought about that? Knowledge and wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. How how do those two go together? Knowledge is just the, the facts. Wisdom is how to use them. Wisdom is what to apply when to solve a problem. Paul says, I'm asking you to have spiritual wisdom. I want God to show you how to apply what you know. I want Him to show you how it fits, how it works. And furthermore, you may not know enough. So I'm also going to pray that God will give you a spirit of revelation. The word revelation is apocalypso. It's the same word that's used for the book of Revelation where God tells us what's going to happen in the end times. You know, and He kind of peels back the curtains and, and opens our eyes and shows us what's going to go on. We have no way of knowing that. It's revelation. It's unfolding hidden truths. And Paul says, I want to pray that you'll also have a spirit of revelation that God will open your understanding to see stuff you can't see on your own. I want Him to show you things. I want Him to to educate you in ways about the future that you may not be aware of in your life. I want Him to show you what's going on so that with understanding, with revelation, and with wisdom, you will know what, what God is doing in your life in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Russ was sitting over here this morning in the 8 o'clock service and I picked on him a little bit. I could pick on Ron Rybo a little bit and talk to him about archery perhaps. Let me ask you a question. Have you read books on archery? If I borrowed your books, you have books on archery now? Ron teaches and coaches archery among many other things. But if I borrowed your books on archery and I read them all, how well do you think I could shoot an arrow? <laughs> yeah, Would I be ready for the Olympics? If I read every book you own, would I be ready for the Olympics? No, I would not. Because until you take a bow in your hand and an arrow, call it notching it, what do you do with that arrow? Okay, you notch the arrow... Now, you got release mechanisms now. You don't use your fingers anymore, right? You use these little triggers. Okay. All right, so, so you go through all this stuff. There's two kinds of learning. There's book knowledge, and a lot of people get book knowledge. And then there's experiential knowledge. That's the kind of stuff you learn by putting it into practice and doing it. You learn things by doing that you can never fully comprehend by reading. And Paul is not praying here that they will have true knowledge of Jesus here, from reading, from hearing the Scriptures. The word that he chooses here is a word that means rich, deep experience. He says, I want you to have a spirit of, of revelation of unfolding information, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and application as you walk with Jesus every day, knowing Him more and more in personal experience. I want you connected with God in Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to know that. Why do you think Paul would pray that way? Well, I think one of the reasons is that was Paul's driving passion in his life. What is your driving passion? What compels you? When you get up in the morning, what is it that motivates you? What, what is the thing that your compass points to every time the pressure's off? Paul says, there's one thing I do. Remember, he was a tent maker. He was a church planter. He wrote books of the Bible. He studied books. He told Timothy one time, remember, bring me the parchments. There was a lot of stuff going on in Paul's life. There were many things he gave his attention to, but he said, this one thing consumes me. Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. I I want to be in the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to understand the power of His resurrection. I want to know Jesus above and beyond everything else in my life. That is my number one driving ambition. And He says, this is what I do in that quest. I forget what's behind me, and I look forward to the goal that is in front of me, and I press, I press toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is my compelling, consuming, passionate life. I want to know Jesus. So Paul would pray for the Ephesians because he wants them to know Jesus like that. Man, if you know Jesus like that, wow, life has a whole different perspective. You begin to see God's viewpoint on things. And a lot of the stuff you and I stress out over suddenly becomes unimportant. And the things that really are problems recede into a bigger context of an overall plan that God has that is far greater. And with His perspective and His vision and walking with Him, Paul says if you know Him like this, whatever you're facing in life, whatever it is, you'll be able to deal with it. You'll be able to handle it. So I want you to know Him like that. I think another thing is that Paul prays this way because that's God's goal for us, that we can know Him, whom to know is life eternal. God, remember what I said last week, God wants to restore us to fellowship. Walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day was the highlight of God's day. If, If God has days, that was the highlight. And He wants to get back to that. He wants us in union with Him. He wants to bring us to a place in our lives where the stuff going on around us makes sense. And where the everyday bumps and, and ditches and traumas and crises don't unravel us. Because we know a higher, genuine purpose That God has. So Paul says, I want you to know Jesus like this. And then he says, there's three things in particular that I'm praying you'll have an understanding of. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. So that you can know these three things. Now when he says the eyes of the heart, he's talking about the core of our being in a spiritual realm. that, That we can see certain things clearly in the realm of the spirit. Most of us are familiar with our bodies and the realm of the body. We have eyes, we have ears, we have a mouth we use probably far too much. You know, we have a sense of smell, we have a sense of touch, we have all of these senses that give us input and allow us to communicate with this physical world. Not many of us have developed the spiritual nature of our being that enables us to communicate with the spiritual, namely with God. But we have a spiritual side of us that has eyes and ears. And and you know your spirit has a sense of taste? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. psalmist is certainly not talking about eating God. He's talking about tasting Him with your spirit. And seeing with your spirit and comprehending. And so Paul says, I'm praying that you will have enlightenment, that you will be able to see, that you will be able to understand three things. Very important things that will help you in what you're facing right now in your life. The first thing I want you to know is I want you to know the hope of your calling. How could that help when you're in the midst of a crisis in your life? When do people usually give up? When they lose hope. When they see no way out when this is a dead end when they don't see anything beyond this moment they lose hope paul says i want you to know the hope of your calling in jesus christ i want you to see where he's taking you i want you to see the future i want you to know what god has guaranteed how do you how do you deal with life threatening situations Or maybe it's no longer life-threatening. Maybe you're one of those people that instead of dying in an instant, unexpectedly, you've been told you're going to die. This is your diagnosis. You're going to die. And now that's in front of you. How do you have hope when you're facing life-threatening kinds of problems? Paul says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. God has... Put his hand on you, he has called you, he has a destiny for you, he's taking you someplace that is amazing. It is amazing. And the more that we begin to contemplate that, where, where God is taking us, to be present with God, to be absent from this body of sickness. I don't know how, how many of you wake up in the morning hurting. You don't have to raise your hands. But but a lot of you probably wake up every day and you have pain. Or you wake up every day and you're struggling with something. Uh, or or you've, maybe you're in a situation that just looks like it's just never going to end. You ever been in those circumstances? You just think there's just no way out of this. I'm here for the duration. How am I going to deal with this? And Paul says, if you know where God is taking you, You know, this is another time and another place, and we've had it so good in America that we don't even think this way very well anymore. But, you know, one of the things that happened to many of the African slaves that were brought over, despite the incredible abuse and mistreatment that they experienced, many of them actually came to know Jesus Christ. And out of that backdrop of of suffering and pain in, in the plantations of the South, Those who came to know Christ developed a a, a culture of hope based around their knowledge of Jesus Christ, and out of that came a whole body of music called the the Negro Spiritual. We don't sing much of those and and don't even think about it. It's, it's, It's old music. But things like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, I mean, if all you think is ever going to happen the rest of your life is you can get out there in a cotton field and pick cotton till you drop dead. And you might have kids, but they're going to get sold off as soon as they're old enough to be valuable as workers. You might have a wife, but she may get sold to some other plantation. You you can't count on anything in your life except slave labor till you die. Where's the hope? And some of them who found Jesus wrote about the hope. Man, I have an incredible future. I have glory to come. Jesus is coming back for me. There is going to be an amazing future that I have in Jesus Christ that He's taking me somewhere. And, and the Apostle Paul put it this way, this is a guy who was not oblivious to suffering in life because he said, look... He said, I've been beaten times without number. More than once, I got 39 lashes, which was 40 was considered a death sentence because very few people survived more than 40. He said, several times, I've gotten 39 lashes. He says, I've been shipwrecked. I've been hauled out of town, left for dead. I've been stoned. And this is the guy that writes this statement. For I consider that the suffering of this present moment is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. Do you think that way at all? Do you see why Paul would pray for us that way? I want you to see beyond the moment. I want you to see the hope of your calling. I want you to see where God's taking you. And then he says, I want you to see the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. This is kind of the flip side. Do you know what God has invested in you? His inheritance in the saints. You know, some people have written books through the years. A recent one was called The Divine Romance. And and sometimes we have a hard time thinking of God in romantic terms. We, we we're more inclined to think of him in very, you know, rid, religious and ritualistic terms or fear or you know, the, 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 the big guy in the sky or whatever. We have this kind of concept. But here's, through the years, people have written books that look at the Scriptures from the romantic perspective of God wooing those He loves. In fact, God Himself uses that imagery throughout the Old Testament. Israel whenever she would stray from God, was considered in spiritual adultery because God considered Israel his, his bride. And Jesus died for the church, His bride. He is the bridegroom coming for His bride. He has incredible love for us. I'm not going to uh, make a separate message of it, but in Ephesians 3... And Carrie taught us that song last week, how deep and wide and long and high. You know. And, and in Ephesians 3, Paul prays for that. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ. It's depth, it's breadth, it's length, it's height. I want you to know the love of Christ. that goes beyond comprehension. How can you know something that goes beyond comprehension? Well, you know it in a part of your being that's not intellectual, but in your heart of hearts. You sense the love of God. That goes beyond comprehension. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much He's invested in you? Do you know how much He cares for you? Do you know the longing of His heart to be with you? I hope I don't offend anyone about this, but do you know that God wants to cuddle with you? He wants to take you in His arms and hold you close to His heart? Do you know that He wants to to stroke you, to pet you, to love you, to to ease your hurts and to, to comfort your heart? Do you know He wants to be with you? Do you know how much God loves you? Is that like foreign to some of you? You think I've uh, Paul's lost it. Do you know how much God cares? Can you see Him that way? Yes, He's holy. That's why we we're reminded in communion of the blood, because we have to be cleansed before we can come into His presence. He's a holy God. He hates sin. He has all of these, these attributes of His righteousness. But He has provided for a way to remove that obstacle so he can get close to us he has taken away the enmity the problem between us and him so that we could come together that he could love us and be with us i tell you what there was no more tender scene i don't think that when when jesus Look down at that woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And there's tons of implications in that story because, oh my goodness, how did they catch her? I think they set her up. And where was the guy? They didn't bring him because he was probably one of them. They brought her. and, and, And now she's laying in the dirt at his feet. And, and they want Jesus to give the word. You know, you can stone her. You can just stone her. That's the deal. That's the law. And Jesus said, all right, that's the law. So let's do it this way. Here's how we're going to start. Whichever one of you has never sinned, you have no sin, you throw the first stone. And, and it isn't long before no one is left at the scene but Jesus and the woman who's still laying face down in the dirt. And Jesus goes down to her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? You can't be punished except you're convicted by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Where where are your witnesses? Where are the accusers? And she must have looked around at that point and she says, There aren't any. They're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. He died for her. Not long after, he died for her. Neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. Walk with me. You know how much God loves you today? That he sent his own son? If you can get a hold of that, There is no moment in life that you're going to feel alone and destitute and helpless when you know how much God loves you. And that He is determined to bring you to His heavenly kingdom. And then Paul says... Last, he says, I want you to know the greatness of his power. Now get the order of this. He says, first thing I want you to know, I want you to know wisdom and and revelation and the true knowledge of Jesus. I really, really want you to know Jesus. I'm praying for that in your life. Then I'm praying that you'll know the hope of his calling, that you know the future, that you'll never feel hopeless. And I want you to know the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints, and I want you to know how much he loves you. I want you to know how, how much He's drawn to you. I want you to see how much He's invested. You're His bride. I want you to see that. So that He says, finally, when you get that picture in your mind, now you're facing your crisis. What is it that keeps you up at night? I asked that at the beginning. What is it that keeps you awake at night? Now you're facing your crisis right now today. Paul says, there's one more piece I want you to get. I'm praying that you will understand the surpassing greatness of his power toward you. I wrote in your study guide the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. And I know that some of the stuff going off last night near my neighborhood was dynamite. And when I was working my way through college, one of the things I did was I was doing a construction job in commercial construction. We were building a dam in North Georgia in red clay and granite, and we were having to blast out to prepare the foundation. And we would work like a week preparing another section, drilling holes. And then when we were all ready, we would, we would pack those holes with dynamite and put in the, the blasting caps and the detonators. And I was stupid back then. I didn't realize. But we, we, then we'd go crawl under the pickup trucks. This is how you do it in northern Georgia you know and, and it would throw boulders when that dynamite would blast boulders this big would come sailing through the air you know and, and i don't know what they weighed but if one of them ever hit the bed of a pickup i don't even think it would slow down on its way to my head but anyway fortunately we never got hit but but we would blast the rock out of there and when that dynamite went off the concussion and the boom things moved stuff happened and god is saying Or Paul is saying, I want you to understand the surpassing greatness of the power of God. The power of God. That when He goes to work, stuff happens. Things move. If you can get a hold of this, then you will know that there is no circumstance in life you will ever face where the power of God cannot come to act on your behalf. You will never be in a situation that God can't handle. In fact, he says, I want to tell you about this power by picking one illustration that he demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, would you all agree that raising somebody from the dead is pretty great? I mean, that's amazing, don't you think? But did you know that everybody in the Scripture that got raised from the dead died again? I don't know if anybody ever asked them what they thought about that. You know, because here they are back to life, and it's like, oh great, i got to do that again. But they all died again. Jesus is the only one that did not die again. He is living. He was raised from the grave ever more to live. But listen, the reason Paul picked this illustration is not just because there's a resurrection involved, but because of what was involved in that resurrection Who is the greatest opposing power that you can think of to God? Where's the biggest source of trouble? It's the devil. And listen, he knew, he knew that if he could keep Jesus in the ground, the atonement, the cross, would be nullified. It would have no effect. There would be no power. If Jesus could be held in the grave by death, It would prove that he did not break the power of death, that he did not cancel sin, that it was all in vain. And so what do you suppose the devil was doing on the day of the resurrection? I think he was there. In fact, I think all the demons of hell were there. I think that was probably the one day on the face of the planet that no one was ever tempted by a demon from outside. Because they were all in one place at one time, with one purpose, they wanted to oppose the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul picked this illustration because he said, the, the best the devil can offer in opposition did not even cause God to blink when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead through all of the principalities and powers and enthroned him in the place of authority at his own right hand and put all those minions under his feet. I want you to know that power. I want you to know that there's nothing you face that will ever be bigger for God than that day, and God didn't even break a sweat. I want you to know what God can do. So that when you get everything else in perspective, you have the wisdom and knowledge and revelation of Jesus. You know where you're destined. You know where you're going. You know how much God loves you. You're completely caught up in God's perspective on life. And you've got it all uh, in a a package of contentment and peace and joy that the world can't take away. He says, then I want you to know that there's nothing you will face that God cannot do any miracle necessary to bring deliverance, He is all-powerful. He can solve your problem. And the most important thing that He's waiting for is for us to, to get on His page, to get on His side, to understand what He wants to do, because when we come together with His goals and His purposes, God will do anything necessary to accomplish His will. In your life. There is nothing he cannot do. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know that? God can meet you. God can care for you. God will do whatever it takes. And whatever your need is today, the power of God is able to meet it. Do you see why Paul prays this way? Paul, the tent maker, Paul, the businessman, Paul, the missionary group leader, Paul, the guy that has to buy and sell and trade and work for a living, Paul, the guy with health problems, the ordinary guy to ordinary people says, This is my prayer. If you get this, no matter what life brings your way, you will have. The grace of God. Father, I want to pray this morning for us. Oh Lord, please open our eyes to see. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's people here, Lord, this morning, they've got stuff going on in their lives. Some people are having trouble at work. They've got a boss or a colleague, a coworker that's just driving them crazy. Some people don't even have work. They need a job. Some people have got marriage problems. Some people have got problems with their kids. Some people can't pay their bills here today. Some people, their health is failing. Some are suffering in pain. Oh God, will you please come to them? This is not pie in the sky. This is real Jesus for their moment. Will you come to them? And enlighten their hearts that they might know the hope of your calling and the glory of the riches of your inheritance in us, in Christ Jesus. And then realize your great power. And by yielding to your will and your purposes, see the demonstration of your glorious power in Jesus Christ. I ask it. In His name and for His glory. Amen.